Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us and let us uh, spend part of your day together. We have a lot to talk about, including weather. Winter just will not give up, will it? And uh, we're going to talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson about uh, what's ahead in the forecast and look ahead to spring. Maybe, uh, you know, a little more optimistic about the weather. Let's look ahead to springtime and better better weather ahead. How long we're going to have to wait on that? We'll talk about that with Bryce Anderson. Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters, will join us. Some things happening on the uh confirmation process for Andrew Wheeler as administrator of EPA, and a lot of it has to evolve around the RFS. We're going to talk about that. And there's a big crop insurance meeting going on out in California, as we've been hearing about. We'll talk with a couple of people there a little bit later. John Newton, chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, and now Jerry Hagstrom from the Hagstrom Report. And Jerry, I guess uh, by by San Diego standards, the weather's not uh, as good as they're used to out there. No, it's only 36 degrees this morning. Ooh, All wow. the, but the, yeah, no, and, but at least it's not raining. It's bright, sunny weather, so that, that's good. But it sure isn't what the people who came from the Midwest were hoping <laughs> for. I was there last month, and it was like in the 40s, and the locals were just, you know, practically panicked. They had uh, parkas out and and uh, stocking caps, everything else. I can only imagine what they're f- doing and how they're handling the thirty degree weather. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not pretty. Let's say let's say that. Uh, uh, you know, the people from I would say the people who are here from Minneapolis and from Des Moines, et cetera, they are saying, "Well, it's a lot colder at home," but uh, they could. Uh, they could sure have enjoyed a bit a bit warmer temperatures. For sure. Well, let's take a look at what's going on at that meeting. What's been your takeaway? What uh, what's been the news out of that crop insurance meeting so far? Well, I would say that the bi- the biggest news is the celebration that nothing bad happened to crop insurance in the farm bill. Uh, in fact, you know there will be. Uh, uh, Directives from Congress uh, to expand to more crops, particularly hemp, although that those policies are not in the, either not even started yet. Uh, so it's it's a celebration. Uh, the other side of this is so far, uh, you know, constant statements from economists that there are problems in the farm economy. Uh, the economist from Wells Fargo last week at the other crop insurance meeting said. Just because a farmer has crop insurance doesn't mean that banks will finance them this year because there are some farmers who are, are in too much trouble uh, and they, they just won't be able to get financing. So I would say that's a kind of uh, double-edged sword here. We've got one side good, one side not so good. Well, that's interesting because we know it's one of the things lenders look at and, and often requires having that having crop insurance. But as you're pointing out, for some, uh, that's not going to be enough uh, to get the, the credit they may need. That's right. Well, one of the points is that if that if a bank uh, keeps loaning to somebody who's not making a profit year after year, they can get in trouble with the regulators for doing that. Mm-hmm. So what? 
What do they say about the future of crop insurance as we move forward? How do they feel about its security? Uh, they feel it's, it's very much secured because the most important piece of legislation that could affect the farm bill was, or excuse me, affect crop insurance was the farm bill. But they are also prepared for onslaughts on it because, of course, there still is a big government de- deficit and uh, there will be fears that there will be an attempt to, uh, to cut it, to pay for something else. Uh, and so they feel they have to be on alert at all times. Uh, but in general, I'd say they feel very good about it, that it's a very stable program, that the industry is quite stable at this point, uh, and uh, they believe it can prevail in the future. But one of the things they have to do is educate all these new members of Congress, about 100 new members of Congress, and almost all of them coming from urban areas. You mentioned new crops uh, that could be covered eventually under crop insurance. You mentioned hemp. Uh, but that's kind of the direction we seem to be going with this, right, uh, opening it up to more crops? Well, yes. And now one of, the, one of the great advantages of opening it up to new crops is most of those are specialty crops, fruits and vegetables, nuts, things like that. And uh, that is good for the image of the industry because the urban consumer has much more of a connection to the specialty crop than to uh, corn and soybeans or cotton. You know, they think about the fruits and vegetables. They don't think so much about the uh, and the wheat because they're in the foods that they eat. They don't eat them directly. So this is good, but it's harder to develop crop insurance that is actuarially sound for those crops because they are relatively small in volume, produced in in pretty much a few areas. And so on that basis, it's hard to develop uh, a good policy compared with developing one for crops that are spread out over. Jerry, what are you hearing about the interest as far as people selling crop insurance? Are are there people willing to do it, or are we seeing fewer? Uh, What's happening there? Well, I haven't heard anything uh, about there being fewer people, but the industry is talking about uh, the uh, competition for agents and the fact that that uh, they the they say they need. Um, I have to admit, I don't really quite understand that yet. I hope maybe I'll learn more about it today. Um, but uh, this may also have to do with you know with with uh, so many young people leaving rural America, uh, uh, but you know I think people are still interested in it. Although the crop insurance agents are not making as much money as they did before the last writing of the of the overall uh, policy that governs their activities. Are you? Are, is there much discussion about the state of the ag economy and? Uh concerns about where it's at or thoughts of maybe where it's going? Uh, I think there is. Uh, yes, there is on the, there is on the sidelines. Um, and today we're going to have a session with, with the economists. We haven't heard from them yet. You mentioned you're going to have John Newton on your show. He's going to be one of the, uh, one of the people. Farm Bureau has just put out this new report on farm bankruptcies that says, well, actually you could look at it that they were down a little bit in uh, in 27 or 2018, I guess it was, but um, 
there were more of them in certain parts of the country, particularly in the Midwest. So it is uh, it is concerning, but I think people are, mu- are not as worried about bankruptcy as they are about people, about farmers just not being in very good shape. One point that was made is that crop insurance is a small um, financial item for farmers compared with things like fertilizer and seed. So they're not... The industry is not worried that people are going to cancel their policies. Um, They're worried about more overall problems. And, of course, there's a constant theme. We need price recovery. We need trade agreements. Uh, Those are the things that are are really big in agriculture right now. Yep, keeps coming back to that. Thanks, Jerry. Enjoy uh, chilly San Diego. Thanks a lot. Okay. Goodbye. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Coming up next, we'll talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. The folks at NK Seeds know that the ag industry is changing, and they know you already have enough surprises to deal with. So they thought you'd like a heads up. They're building a new NK. If you're coming to Commodity Classic, be sure to visit the Syngenta booth to learn more about their reinvigorated NK corn portfolio and consistently high-yielding NK soybeans, all bred with the latest technology to help you maximize ROI. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Are you thinking about buying medicine online? A search for online pharmacies yields more than 20 million results. But which ones can you trust? Medicines bought from unlicensed online pharmacies can be dangerous. You may get a fake drug, your condition may get worse, or you may experience a bad reaction. Don't put your health at risk. To learn how to find an online pharmacy that's safe and legal, visit fda.gov slash besaferx. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. 
For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we haven't talked with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson in a while. He's been busy traveling around the country talking with folks. Uh, Bryce, good to have you back with us. Yeah, thank you, Mike. I know uh, you were a a popular draw at the Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. Uh, How did that go? Well, it it went well. Um, We had uh, good crowds uh, at the show. I think uh, the overall attendance was uh, really pretty decent. And uh, the the uh, folks that we had uh, were were a lot of fun to talk to and kind of find out how things are going. Uh, both uh, Todd Holtman and I were were uh, making presentations, and so we had a a good group and uh, gave talks on on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Uh, along with that, uh, we had the chance to uh, engage with uh, a few producers uh, here and there uh, at our sales booth that we had so it uh, really went pretty well well i'm sure you heard from a lot of people wondering when's winter going to get over <laughs> how, how far yeah. are we from spring and uh, boy it doesn't doesn't look or feel like spring in a lot of places around the country does it very true and and uh there were some uh, producers who still have harvesting to take care of uh i was uh, impressed by that, especially farther south, and uh, so that's still a feature. And uh, then for for a number of folks, uh, this uh, round of of colder and wetter conditions is is uh, certainly complicating. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned during my part of our talks uh, was a series of uh, conversations that I've had with a grower from the Mississippi Delta. Uh, in the uh, Blytheville, Arkansas area, who uh, told me that since November 1st last year, he's had 30 inches of rain, and wow. and you know that part of the that part of the country traditionally gets more rainfall anyway. We know that, but still, 30 inches of rain uh, has just soaked his ground, and uh, you know he's wondering when he's going to get into the field. And usually, when I make uh, you know, comments that uh, try to describe a little bit in uh, in more detail or give an example of what uh, I'm trying to uh, to emphasize. Usually, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a reserved response uh, from the crowd. I, I expect that. But in this particular case, uh, when I mentioned that, this was on Thursday morning that I brought this up, and and uh, there was a, an actual audible. Uh, kind of deep breath or a gasp uh, from the audience because uh, that that truly made made a point and of course in that part of the country uh, it's not very far from Louisville Kentucky to the Mississippi Delta and so it it was more or less a point that was right in the area for a lot of growers to be able to understand and to empathize with and you know that that's kind of where a lot of folks in that part of the country are are from, and and um, you know it's uh, the situation that a lot of people are are truly facing, and there's a lot of things to do. Uh, it doesn't look like they're going to get going anytime soon, and the way this weather pattern is acting, 
Uh, you know, whereas parts of the Midwest and the Northern Plains are going to get some heavy snow this week, those folks are looking at heavy rain, and that's just going to complicate things. Yeah, and as you point out, a lot of things did not get done last fall that normally get done, not just harvest in some cases, but, uh, you know, just uh, some fall field work that did not get done. So already it feels like uh, some folks are behind and uh, looking now at the perhaps getting further behind, uh, as you said, if it's a late spring. Well, we know that uh, uh, we see uh, on uh, Twitter and other places uh, some planters starting to roll, like in, in places like Texas. So uh, there are some signs of spring in places yes there are uh and, and it's good to see uh the the southern plains uh the far southern plains especially have uh, pretty much been out of this um heavier precipitation track now this week uh, there is going to be rainfall in southeastern texas uh that's going to be part of the uh area that gets the uh, rainfall but in uh in those other folks uh, in in those other areas uh, there's actually been a little bit of a drier trend, and uh, you think about uh, southwestern Oklahoma and the Texas Panhandle, they've been pretty much out of the uh, precip side of things. In fact, the Texas Panhandle area is now in a moderate drought on, short, on the short-term uh, indicators in the drought monitor. It's about the only area of the country east of the Rockies. Uh, where there's any sort of drought uh, indication that's been uh, put in, into uh, effect. And uh, in, in that uh, section, yeah, you can get into the field and, and do some work, and I know they're taking advantage of it. All right, well, let's talk about the latest winter storm. Uh, how widespread and what is it bringing? Well, uh, the storm uh, system is pretty much going to going to cover the northern, central, and the south-central plains, and then uh, eastward uh, throughout the Midwest. And I think the Midwest is going to get the majority of the uh, moisture that develops. Uh, we're going to see moderate to heavy snowfall uh, with the uh, greatest snow from uh, Interstate uh, 70 northward, or I should say uh, U.S. Highway 36 across northern Missouri and then north of that. Uh, Iowa is going to get uh, just about the entire state uh, under 6 to uh, 10 to 12 inches of snowfall. Southern Minnesota is going to get into that category as well. Um, Eastern Nebraska is in the same uh, scenario. Southeastern South Dakota, northern Missouri, northeastern Kansas, and then uh, over much of uh, Illinois south into the Ohio Valley, we're going to see moderate to heavy rainfall. Uh, parts of Illinois could be uh, affected with an ice storm, and then that's going to extend into central Indiana, southern Ohio, and then, uh, you know, rainfall in the Ohio Valley, Missouri Boot Hill, the Delta, uh, the Tennessee Valley. We're going to see rainfall of probably three to six inches, and that's going to uh, then kind of uh, billow into the southeast as well. And then farther east, uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia and West Virginia have a, have a real high potential for an ice storm to cause uh, problems and, uh, and threats in that part of the country, too. Uh, so it's uh, a, a pattern of cold with uh, any sort of uh, variety of precipitation that covers uh, much of the central and eastern part of the country before the week is over with. Wow. What about long-term, uh, long-range? What are you seeing in March? Well, I think what we're going to see in March is uh, a very chilly start to the month. 
Um, and and uh, as we get through the the month, uh, the temperature pattern is going to be a little bit milder. And uh, getting into April and then on into May, we're going to you know get into a seasonal uh, track. But the thing that uh, strikes me is that uh, the the prospect for getting into the field with any dispatch is uh, going to be pretty hard to find because we've got a lot of moisture to work with. Oncoming precipitation is going to uh, lead to saturated ground real quickly. And I, I do think that uh, the flood threat for this season is quite high uh, with everything that we've got going on. And um, there's also the prospect that springtime precipitation could uh, be on the moderate to heavy side as well and just you know kind of slows everything down. Well, something we'll be talking a lot about, no doubt, uh, over the next few weeks. Speaking of flooding, a terrible situation in Australia. Give us an update what's going on there. Well, uh, the the uh, pattern in Australia has been has been uh, you know one of extremes over the uh, last several months. Uh, the the circumstances uh, for for uh, Australia have been uh, you know really quite dire in terms of the uh, in, in terms of uh, you know widespread dryness in central and eastern Australia that uh, have caused a lot of problems uh, with the wheat crop. And then uh, in the northeastern part of the country, uh, on the other hand, uh, they've had uh, far too much rainfall. Uh, so the, the northeastern part, kind of in the rainforest country, uh, have had uh, tremendous rains. So they've had, uh, you know, uh, rivers in that part of the world uh, go from uh, just uh, practically a little trickle to uh, over 30 miles wide in uh, a very short period of time. And so it's been the worst flooding there in more than 50 years. So it's been a, a real contrast going on in Australia. And the, uh, the scenario there is, uh, is such that, that uh, we're not seeing a whole lot of real agricultural benefit because of the, uh, of the kind of extreme uh, rainfall that's developed. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, far too much in a very short period of time. A lot, a lot of extremes there for sure, and a lot of uh, damage uh, being done. All right, Bryce, thanks for the update, and uh, we'll we'll hope for uh, a better forecast next time. But it sounds like uh, you've kind of braced us for what may be coming up for the next few weeks. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Mike. As always, take take care, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Well, some things happening on the confirmation process of Andrew Wheeler to be an EPA administrator. And a lot of it has to do with the RFS. Uh, We'll talk more about that with Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters next on AOA. The folks at NK Seeds know that the ag industry is changing, and they know you already have enough surprises to deal with. So they thought you'd like a heads up. They're building a new NK. If you're coming to Commodity Classic, be sure to visit the Syngenta booth to learn more about their reinvigorated NK corn portfolio and consistently high-yielding NK soybeans, all bred with the latest technology to help you maximize ROI. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, Immigration Reform, Reducing Regulations, Trade, New Technology, as well as Infrastructure and Health Care. 
through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain and oil seed sector, a defensive tone on this Tuesday. The resumption of trade talks between the U.S. and Chinese delegates in Washington this week all but assures the grains will be closely watching any international trade news. Traders not wanting to be caught short if there is an announcement of any kind of U.S.-China agricultural package that could include purchases, including corn. March corn settled unchanged on Friday ahead of the holiday weekend. Heading into this week, corn bowls maintaining a minor technical edge, according to the wire talk. But we're easier early on this Tuesday with March corn down two and a half at 372 and a quarter. December at 397 and a half, down a penny and three quarters. In soybeans, the March contract is down five and a half cents at 902. On the downside, Friday's low at 901 and a quarter stands as initial support ahead of 899 and a half, the low from January 22nd. Easier tone in the wheat futures with Chicago wheat trending six to eight and a half cents lower, Kansas City six to seven and a half lower, and Minneapolis spring wheat trending four to ten cents lower, March down a dime at 563. For livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, we're trending 45 to a dollar 45 higher February at 127.97, up a dollar 35. Cash cattle activity on Friday, late sales seen at 199 to 200 dressed in Nebraska, 125 live in the South. Generally steady with the prior week. Feeder cattle March up 30 cents, 142.90. Lean hogs April down two dollars and 65 cents, 56.87. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We're kind of watching this confirmation process for Andrew Wheeler to be administrator of EPA and a few bumps in the road on this confirmation process. Here to talk about that is Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. Jarrett, thanks for joining us. And some of those bumps have to do with the RFS, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, last week uh, we learned that uh, uh, Ted, uh, a group of senators led by Ted Cruz has uh, sent a letter to the EPA 
essentially warning them that they, uh, they need some answers to some questions um, re- regarding the RFS. Um, and I think that the suggestion is they need favorable answers to these questions um, or else they're going to uh, block the nom- nomination. So right now we don't, we don't necessarily know which way it's going to go. Typically, you, if, you, know, you, you think the Republican president gets his way with the Republican Senate, so I think you have to assume that moving forward. But um, that, that certainly was, uh, I want to say a surprise, but it, the, 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 the wording was surprising. I think it was pretty, pretty strong. This is a tricky issue for uh, Wheeler because, as you said, Wheeler, uh, uh, Cruz and some others would like to see adjustments down, and uh, the renewable fuels industry, when at least held steady, would like it even increased as far as the amount of uh, renewable fuels. So uh, he, uh, it puts Wheeler kind of right in the middle on this. Uh, absolutely, and I think, you know, it makes sense. If you're a Republican senator opposed to the RFS, this is the time you have leverage. So, um, like you said, uh, we reported a story today that showed that the staff had sent a, a, a draft test reset that's coming up, um, and the range of ethanol was um, the mandate was anywhere from 14.3 billion to 15 billion. And our, our reporting says that uh, Wheeler kicked that back as being too low, um, specifically the 14.3 billion gallons, which would be a, a significant blow to the ethanol industry if, if, if it got lowered by that much. So. Um, you know, Cruz and uh, his fellow uh, GOP senators learned of this and other things. And uh, I think Wheeler's too pro, pro-corn at this point, I think, is the general sentiment. Um, and even from his meetings, um, you know, you look at uh, Wheeler's uh, calendar of meetings, which is public, um, I think they, I want to say alarmed, but concerned, I guess, that he's meeting with too many biofuel folks um, and not enough energy folks and getting only one, one side of the story. Does Cruz have enough uh, support on his side to actually block Wheeler's confirmation? You know, I haven't done, you know, I'm not close enough to the to this particular vote counting part to know where Democrats stand. Do Are Democrats unified in their opposition to Wheeler? I'm not so sure. Um, but there's certainly enough Republicans in that letter that you uh, that if they stuck to their guns, um would then you would need democratic support of Wheeler to get him through, um, and there's all kinds of legislative maneuvering such as holds and, and some kind of like archaic stuff that the public generally doesn't want to hear about. But uh, you know, so I think senators have some some unique powers, particularly ones that are in the majority party, um, to put holds on on nominees and to single-handedly block their appointment. And I'm not so sure McConnell's going to go against them. Um, you know, I think he's going to give that. He's going to give this as much time as it needs to play out to make sure his senators are happy. And if so they're this not, could take a while. I don't know, Mike. Yes, this could take a could. while. No doubt about it. And uh, you know, he's in, he's there in, in, as an acting capacity now. He has no no different powers than today than he would have tomorrow if he was appointed and successfully uh, got a successful vote. So, you know. Um, like I said, we'll have to see how long this plays out and see exactly how strong their opposition is. Um, but uh, they're definitely concerned. So I would say, though, if you're looking at it from the renewable fuel standpoint, and he's indicated he doesn't want to drop it down to, say, 14.3 or something like that, uh, and the fact that as long as he's the uh, 
acting administrator, he still has the power to go ahead and make these decisions. So I would say him not being confirmed, at least for right now, seems to be good news for the renewable fuels industry, if indeed he's leaning to keeping it closer to 15. For sure. I think that I think that the senators have the right read. At this point, there's, there's increasingly signals from the people I talk to that Wheeler's going to try to, like, uh, extract the EPA out of some of the decisions they've already previously made regarding RFS. <clears throat> and, 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 you know, depending on what side of the playing field you're on, um, you know, either level it or, uh, you know, everybody has their own opinions about this, as you, as you well know. But um, I think clearly it looks like the waivers are going to be lower. The question is how much lower. Um, you know, it's 15 billion gallons of wind for the ethanol industry in a reset. Um, some, some would say no. Um, you know, you have E15 coming to the market. Um, you know, you, you want higher ethanol blends, so, you know, maybe $16 billion would be a win for the ethanol uh, industry, and $15 billion would be a loss, right? So, uh, you know, you can cut it so many different ways that, you know, but clearly, the, to me, the EPA is moving in a direction that should make some biofuel folks happy, or happier, I guess, um, whether they'll ever be happy, I'm not so sure about that. It is interesting because he could leave it at $15 billion and neither side would be especially happy. I mean, uh, the oil side wants it lower and the ethanol side would like it higher. So, uh, in essence, he could leave it at 15 and, uh, and, and have both sides unhappy with it. Yeah, you, you almost get a sense that that's like the, 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 the political uh, leveling mark, right? 15 billion. I think if both sides are dissatisfied, you probably, in, 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 when it comes to the RFS, you probably won, right? Because um, that's probably the best you you ever get with this uh, thorny issue. So, um, you know, 15 billion seems like a, a logical place to land, um, but there is still some uh, that there's a remand out there of 500 million gallons that the, yep. the the EPA still has to resolve from a previous lawsuit that they owe the biofuel industry. Um, they have communicated that they're going to resolve that through the reset. That suggests that you know volume is going to be higher. Um, you know, but ultimately it sounds like, you know, Wheeler's going to get a proposal and he's either going to up or, you know, agree to it or not, but it's, uh, you know, the buck definitely stops with Wheeler. Um, yeah. and I guess to that fact, the president as well, I'm sure the president, but it's a, it's a, we're in the election year, right? And, uh, or election cycle. And, uh, I think, uh, we, we can never lose sight of that and, and the importance of Iowa in, in, in the broader scheme of things. Right. And we heard last week at the ethanol conference that the, uh, renewable fuels leaders are hoping that reset uh, will account for those lost gallons. In other words, a higher number than 15. We will see. Uh, we're talking with Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters. Uh, anything uh, new that you're hearing on getting E15 done by this summer? You know, I guess the, when we last talked last week was, um, you know, there was some sense that the, the EPA was going to try to rush out a rule. Um, ahead of a potential shutdown, we 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 no longer in the shutdown mode. Um, but you were there in Orlando when we heard uh, what the USDA undersecretary said that uh, there should be a plan B here, which is kind of um, discretionary enforcement. Which is I don't think it's a word that's going to make too many biofuel folks happy. Um, <clears throat> that that to me was the first public sentiment from uh, anybody in the Trump administration that the E15 timeline is in jeopardy. Um, so, you know, I, 
there's a lot to do, right? You have to get the rule published. You have to then OMB has to come in and weigh in. Um, and, and there's just there's a lot of beer. The, the the rule process is designed to be slow, to, in order to get the most stakeholder input as possible. So you know we are we are up against it, and uh, you know. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I would be concerned if I was in the biofuel folks about some of the, the, the most recent comments from the, the, the Trump administration. And uh, it's looking more and more like this summer is going to be a little bit of a wasted summer, to, at least to me, in terms of investment, because you have so many uncertainty heading into it. And it's going to be a challenge for people to kind of uh, the, to, to invest the capital they need, given, given some of the headwinds there are. Yep. And speaking of headwinds, uh, the biofuels industry, uh, the uh, the biodiesel industry did not get uh, that tax credit in the extenders package in the government funding bill. Uh, it was really a blow to the biodiesel industry. It makes for uh, uh, looks like another challenging year for them as they are kind of betting on the come that eventually this is going to happen, but uh, they're still waiting to see when and where. Certainly a lot of uh, my email box was full with people asking a lot of questions. Um, I, I think they were... You know, this is kind of the, the happens every year at this point, but I, I, I do think there's a lot more uncertainty this year. Um, you have a new, uh, you know, you have a new Democrat, uh, new new party in control of Congress. You have a lot of uncertainty, and I, and I think that that clearly is being felt by the industry um, of people looking for some clues of how they get there. Um, you know, I, the people I talk to are nobody's guaranteeing that this will get done, at least to me. Um, and, and there's people who I talk to who are in charge of getting this done, or at least responsible for it. And, um, so I, I do think there's some well-deserved uh, uh, skepticism about w- what the future holds for this credit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if history's any precedent, it will get done at some point. Um, but, you know, don't tell that to somebody who's, you know, having to get a loan from a bank or do something um, that they need some more of a some more of a guarantee than just uh, some kind of historical precedent. All right, Jarrett, thanks a lot. Next time we talk, we'll talk more about uh, these proposals to get away from liquid fuels and, you know, whether it's electric or whatever direction that some uh, in Congress would like to see us go. Be interested. We know how the renewable fuels industries respond to this. I want to get your thoughts next time we talk about how the oil industry is reacting to that as you cover that side of uh, the energy uh, uh, story as well. So, Jared, as always, thanks for the update. We'll be back in touch soon. Thank you. All right. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Jared Renshaw, who is the National Energy Markets Reporter, for Reuters. Yeah, a lot of things going on here in the energy world. We talk a lot about renewable fuels here and watching what happens to the RFS and E15, but uh, this uh, push with the uh, Green New Deal and the push away that they want to make from liquid fuels, we'll see how the oil industry is going to react to that uh, as well. We'll be talking more about that in the future. Well, we're going to go back out to San Diego to the uh, crop insurance uh, meeting going on out there. We're going to talk with the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton, get his thoughts on crop insurance and the ag economy overall. That's coming up next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to Auto Credit Express. And we've helped thousands of people just like you. 
Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today. 800-745-3327. 800-745-3327. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110 and I had a stroke and I'm 33 so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it or talk with your doctor to create an exercise diet and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell Brought to you by the American Heart Association American Medical Association and the Ad Council Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not Cherish the good but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. 
Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, let's go back to California and the crop insurance meeting going on there. Joining us now, the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton. John, thanks for joining us. What's uh, what's your message to the folks out there when it comes to the ag economy? What are you going to share with them? You know, we're going to go over a, a deep dive on kind of where the farm economics stand uh, today. We're going to review uh, USDA's most recent long-term projections on trade and, and farm income. But the overall message continues to be that it's a really tough time uh, in agriculture, and I think that's important for folks that that service farmers and ranchers, the the crop insurance providers out there, uh, to really understand how tough uh, it is out there in rural America. We heard earlier, uh, talking with Jerry Hagstrom out at that meeting, that uh, we're hearing about lenders, in some cases, crop insurance not enough for them to extend credit to some folks because of their particular financial situation. Yeah, that, that certainly uh, drew a lot of attention, got a lot of headlines, uh, that comment. You know, the, at the end of the day, uh, lenders are, are looking at farmers' marketing plans, their balance sheet, their risk management, uh, and a variety of factors when, when thinking about and working with them on their lending and credit needs uh, this year. So crop insurance is certainly a very important uh, component of that as it does help the, the farmer and rancher manage risk. Uh, but a farm has to have a really strong operating plan and marketing plan Uh, in this tight margin environment that we're in. Hard to, I guess, be hard for you and other economists to really give outlook for the year, not knowing what might happen with China and USMCA. I mean, uh, that that changes everything, depending on which way those deals go. Well, they they need to go in in a positive direction. And when you think about uh, finding a resolution on trade with China, that needs to happen soon. Uh, USMCA needs to be approved by Congress uh, so that we can start to implement uh, those new trade provisions. Uh, so there's a variety of things that need to happen. I think another thing to keep our attention on is is potential uh, 232 on automobiles. Uh, if we see tariffs on automobiles of up to 25%, we can be very certain that our trading partners uh, would likely retaliate against us on, on agricultural products, as that's one sector of the U.S. economy that enjoys a very positive trade surplus. Obviously, we don't know what a deal with China might look like, but if there is some agreement with them on trade and they're back in the market uh, more than they uh, have been the last few months, uh, what is the upside do you see for the ag economy in 2019? And on the other side, if we don't get those things, are we at the bottom now or could we actually go lower? Well, I uh, pretty hard on soybeans. You know, the old crop soybeans that we just harvested last fall, uh, the marketing year and the opportunity to really move those soybeans happens before March. Uh, so if we get a deal done with China, you know, the, the remaining uh, marketing year, it's going to be a challenge because it's going to be more competitive uh, with crops coming out of uh, South America. 
Uh, but really, you know, going into 2019, folks are making those planting decisions. Uh, if we're going to have a billion bushels of soybean carryout this year, and we're going to plant 82 to 86 million acres of soybeans this year, uh, we really need the, the trade situation to be resolved with China. Otherwise, it's going to be a very competitive market, and the, the bottom could be a lot lower than where we are today. And corn? You know, I think the outlook for corn, uh, you know, we started the, the marketing year uh, very favorably uh, for corn. I think exports this year are projected to be about 2.4 billion bushels. That's the highest that we've seen in, in quite a while. Uh, but we're going to plant more acres of corn next year. And so it's still going to be a very competitive environment. We need to maintain the consumption in the export channels, in the ethanol channels, and continue in the livestock space for corn. But we have seen two to three straight years of of inventory declining uh, in the U.S. and globally, uh, and that does put some support under corn balance sheets. Let's look on the livestock side on pork. African swine fever in China, now some reports that's showing up in Vietnam as well. You know, I think one of the things that happened when you look at the pork complex, uh, when the the tariffs went on, you saw uh, pork prices fall dramatically. Uh, We did see the market facilitation program come in and help those producers. Uh, but then once African swine fever broke, you did see some rebound uh, in, in livestock prices. But, but the challenge really going into 2019 is, is you've got record production of pork, beef, uh, poultry products. So it's going to be a very, very competitive protein space, uh, and that's, that's going to weigh on prices moving forward. What do you see with the cattle market? You know, I think that there's still some opportunities in the cattle market. We still see the, the – we haven't had herd contraction. Uh, at this point, and really, when you think about beef and its resurgence uh, this past year, it's, it's really been driven by a really strong uh, U.S. economy. We're moving more product into those export channels. So most of the folks I talk to, uh, you know, on the cattle side, I uh, think 2019 still has some bright spots uh, going forward. Hey, back on crop insurance, a lot of people talking about hemp, but uh, the word out of that meeting that you're at, uh, uh, hemp's not going to be covered in crop insurance, not yet anyway. Yeah, they said not not so fast that, that growers that are making plans to plant hemp in 2019 uh, won't have crop insurance coverage and won't have the ability to cover uh, hemp under the whole farm revenue program. We know that the farm bill, uh, you know, brought industrial hemp kind of into the fold of the crop insurance space, but we've got to develop a product uh, for industrial hemp, something that's actuarially uh, appropriate, and I think that's where the industry is at this point is, uh, private submitters as well as USDA RMA figuring out how to build a product that will work. And the challenge is going to be we don't have a lot of historical data uh, to, to make a product and the rate of product. So it will be real interesting to see uh, once industrial hemp does come under the crop insurance umbrella what that product and what that policy looks like. A lot of people looking at hemp. Some are into it already growing it. What's the market for hemp? You know, I, I think that's, a, that's another big unknown. Uh, a lot of value in hemp. Uh, is in the CBD oil. When I'm out here in California, I walk through a, a farmer's market just uh, just on Sunday afternoon, and I'd say half the booths here were uh, had CBD oil-based uh, products uh, for, for pet medication, for human health. Um, so I think there, there is an, a demand for hemp-based products uh, out there, but we don't have a full grasp. Again, the challenge is data. Uh, we don't know how big that market could potentially be. 
Yeah, still a lot of questions out there, but I think we're going to be talking more about that uh, here in the near future as well as uh, more and more uh, producers taking a look at it anyway, some already into it. John, thank you very much. Uh, Have a good meeting out there. John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, joining us from uh, San Diego and the crop insurance meeting going on there. Uh, Coming up tomorrow, the president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, Tom Slate, has announced his retirement. Uh, We'll talk with him about his career and what's going on with market development projects around the world. Hope you'll join us here on AOA.